0: hey gang welcome to episode 117 of the no Persinium podcast the voice of everything immersive I'm Noah Nelson, coming to you from NoPro headquarters in Los Angeles. This week on the show, a kind of psychological sequel to last week's episode on physical safety. We have sex-positive psych, Dr. Liz Powell, a licensed therapist and coach who specializes in LGBTQ polykink-friendly therapy, joins us to talk about the mental side of safety and emotional risk. Plus, Alon Lee, co-creator of Exploding Kittens and former chief design officer at Xbox, joins us to talk about his passion for escape rooms. Now, let's, before we go on, let's just stop for a second. What other show is going to bring you this lineup? What other, what other one? You can't even get this on late night television. This feels like late night television in the 70s. We're going to we're going to tackle some some big ideas and we're also going to talk about just play and games and there's kittens that explode and there's 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 Frank talk about kink. So I'm just going to tell you right now this one gets the explicit tag. Um You know, if you're if you're the kind of person who listens with kids in the car, I'm assuming somebody out there is, um, you know, maybe not this episode. If if your kids aren't like, you know, super advanced, just just want you to to make an informed decision here uh, before you soldier on through. Um, We don't go to any dark places. um, Just, you know don't don't I don't think this episode needs needs a, a content advisory necessarily in that sense, but we're gonna have a frank discussion uh, about uh, some serious issues that have uh, cropped up in the community in the in the past few months. Uh, more on that in a second. Let's get back to the part where I beg you for money. because <laughs> <laughs> that was supposed to be the segue and then I like jumped into you know preparing you instead. Uh, because I care. Uh, I care about you uh, possibly more than I care about myself. Uh, Patreon.com slash nopresenium. That's how you help what we do. And oh my God, we do a lot. Um, You know, we've got the website going on, nopresenium.com. We have the amazing staff. Who've, who've really started to spin up in the just the past few weeks, like suddenly, oh my God, we've got an operation going. Uh, we've got an operation going that pulls in less than $400 a month. Um, so nobody's getting paid. Um, I'm I'm just covering the basic bills uh, to keep the functional thing functional. Um, if everyone who was in Everything Immersive, which is the Facebook group that we we run and and takes a a lot of time, uh, more than you'd think. Um, but running groups, uh, you know, could be someone's career. Um, if everyone who was in there, and we're over two thousand people. Two thousand people in Everything Immersive right now, and there's a lot of people who are active. Uh, if everyone at Everything Immersive was dropping, oh, I don't know, five dollars a month uh, into the <laughs> No Presidium Kitty, um, we'd have like an operating budget basically. Um, I wouldn't have a day job, yada, 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 all those sorts of things. So I'm just saying, if you're a regular listener of the show, if you uh, enjoy the newsletters, this podcast, the website, um, think of it like a subscription to a, a major metropolitan newspaper uh, of your soul. So there you go, there's the pitch. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. As always, Ross Sigworth of the Rastkeller Club is our supporting backer, our, our sustaining backer, as we like to say, public media style. And uh, joining the cause this week is Max Zumstein, whose wonderful show Betwixt got an extension. Uh congratulations on that, Max. Uh, and hopefully we'll see even more work soon from you. But indeed. Uh, we need everybody on board. Um, I'm, I'm not even gonna joke anymore. Just like a storm's a coming, so uh, just please uh, let's let's get ready for for uh, changes ahead. Um, hey, now that's something you can do for me. Here's something I can do for you. If you're in the New York area, our friends over at Future of Storytelling and the Fost Fest, they've offered us up a discount code, twenty percent off tickets to Fost Fest with the code NP20. So NP20 gets you 20% off tickets to FOSBEST, like I said. If I could be there, I would be there. Uh, I am. I am completely stoked about what the lineup's going to be. Um, Catherine, who is our uh, our ace in New York right now, uh, who's getting ready to like you know take over because Zay's going to go like on a world tour, and so Catherine's going to step into the curatorial role, role. And she's been like cranking out reviews and like running the New York NewsWire and just like. What? Where? Where were you? Come on, uh, she's been fantastic. Um, uh, when I first asked her, I was like, "Hey, do you want to like help out with this? You post everything immersive like a, a fair amount." And She's like, "Okay, maybe I can help." And then just like, if this is maybe I can help, oh my god, <laughs> what would what would like eager help be? Because I don't think I can imagine it. Like people wonder how I do it. I don't. I don't know how Catherine does it. I really don't. Um, anyway, she'll be there. Uh, so will uh, so will Lee and uh, I think I think Marcy Marcy Hume if she can uh, Lee Abelson and uh, who uh, writes reviews for us and um, sadly Zay won't won't be there because Zay's starting that travel thing that he's doing which we are very happy that he's getting to do um, okay that's where the staff's gonna be stalkers uh, so you know hunt us down. Um, Let's get into the first segment of the day, which is with our friend Alan Lee, uh, Alon, uh, I've known uh, since uh, for a few years now, uh, he was he was at a startup company uh, that was working on some interesting storytelling. Uh, applications. Uh, then he got like pulled back to Xbox when they were doing Xbox Studios and and were readying for like a new world. And then Microsoft got cold feet and was like, well wait a second, what are we doing?" And just they just bailed right before it was about to get really sweet, which is totally unfortunate. Um, and then like like a cat, perhaps like a cat with 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 some C four on it, uh, Elon landed on his feet and just blew up with exploding kittens which became like the most popular game on kickstarter overnight thanks to his friend the oatmeal and his amazing design it's a fantastic game there's a mobile version there's the card version it's gone from something like sold out of basically his back house to um you know being in like every target there is literally um just part of this massive renaissance in games but you know, games are are at the heart of what Alan does. Alan was one of the original. Uh, I shouldn't undersell this part. Alan um, helped invent the ARG. Let's just for those who don't know the history, uh, he worked on Cloudmakers, aka the Beast, which was the promotional campaign for Spielberg's AI, which was basically the original ARG. So if you're out there and you're you're loving the Lust experience, or if you're playing in the Nocturnal Fandango universe, or if you ever did the heroes ARG or any of that stuff. The guy we're about to talk to, he he, he yeah, it starts it starts with Alon and his buddies way back when. Uh that's that's where it all kicks off. Okay. So there's there's a little short version of history. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, there there were other Beatles, but we're talking to Alan today. So there you go. Um and the best part about Alan is that you, you want someone who like invented a genre of, of gaming, uh, to be a giant nerd who just like loves all things of that nature, who is curious, who will like dive into all sorts of strange situations. That's a Lon Lee, um, he loves escape rooms. He really loves escape rooms. You're gonna find out exactly how much he loves escape rooms right now. Alan, you know a lot about games. Uh, I would, I would argue that maybe you know more about games than anyone I know, and
1: and I know. Okay.
0: Well, and and you and we know a lot of the same people in common uh, when it comes to gaming. So you know, but but still, um, I think that's kind of you. I'm going to say that's safe to say. I'm not going to invite. I, I appreciate.
1: Mutual. I appreciate the badge of geekdom. Thank you. Yes, I will wear it
0: with pride. Ben, good good just 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 enjoy it um and you may have be the person with with the possible exception of the gang at room escape artist uh who i think may have they've i think they've gone to more rooms than anyone alive (laughs) but aside from from david and lisa you're the person who has gone to the most escape rooms and i think I think including David and Lisa, definitely the most escape rooms in Southern California of anyone I know and maybe anyone, period. So yeah. I wanted well, to have say, you on the show.
1: They say the, uh, the first step of recovery is admitting you have a problem. So <laughs> I have a problem. I go to way too many escape rooms and uh, there doesn't seem to be any end in sight.
0: There's 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 truly no end in sight. There's, there's no end whatsoever. Uh, you are doomed forever to escape rooms. Um, what have you seen? (laughs) What have you seen? What have you learned? What's going on in escape rooms these days? Uh, what's, yeah, that's sort of an open-ended question, but like you're, you're my go-to guy. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Um, I've seen all kinds of cool stuff, and I've also seen all kinds of horrible stuff. Um, Lots, lots of horrible, like so many horrible, horrible things. It's just, I mean, we could do an hour on that if you ever want to, but uh, mostly what's fun to talk about here is um, what I've really seen is this really exciting trend in entertainment, And, and that trend is audiences are more and more willing to spend money on experiences rather than products. Um, They want to be immersed, they want to fall into a fiction, they want to go home and tell their friends about this incredible experience that they had uh, more and more every day than uh, here's this object I bought. And uh, there's certainly room for both. There always will be. But um, it used to be so heavily sided towards the object world. And now it's, its experiences are starting to have their day in the sun. And it is so delightful. And it's the exact reason why I've got, you know, hundreds of, of escape, room, uh, escape rooms under my belt.
0: What keeps you going back into those things? I mean, you said, you know, it's about, experiences and not products, but what is it about escape rooms that, that just piques your curiosity?
1: I, um, I live in this totally delusional world. I always think of myself as the, the, the ninja, the action adventure star, the, the, I I am the hero of my own narrative every single day. And, um, my whole life, uh, the real world has never quite lived up to that version of reality in my head, and escape rooms are the first thing I've ever found that start to justify my outrageous claims that I've made since I was born. That's honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but okay, let me let me unpack that a little bit. Like, Yeah, no, uh, think, no, 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 no they came no, up we'll as judgy, we'll, but I mean, it's we'll like, a oh, no, we'll, we'll just we'll leave it. it. yeah. 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 <laughs> No, no, unpack nope. it. Unpack it. Go for okay. it. So, so I think everyone goes through this um, at least to a small degree, right? You you watch a movie, you watch a TV show, you read a book, um, and you always sort of project yourself into the protagonist role. I could do that. Or uh, uh, when when they accomplish something miraculous, you you feel a sense of accomplishment because you were there with them. You you sort of occupy a little piece of their body. Uh, you share a brain for a moment. And that, that belief, that, that, that belief that your life has uh, little hints of the extraordinary, right, not just ordinary, but the extraordinary in it, um, we all carry that around with us. It's the reason, I think, that we read those books and we watch those movies and we get so excited um, when, when we have those small victories. Um, an escape room is the first thing that I've really found where instead of just passively participating in that extraordinary narrative, you get to actively participate. For one hour, you are the protagonist. The story will only move forward based on your accomplishments or failures. And if you fail, mm-hmm. if you are not the action hero that you've were, that you you've always thought of yourself, or at least that you get to be for the next 60 minutes, the whole narrative comes to a crashing halt and things go wrong and people stay trapped instead of uh, achieving freedom. And that's so alluring. I love that. It's so. It's, it has such a strong appeal to me um, because uh, all over whatever city I'm in, there's these little tiny 60-minute instances of extraordinary.
0: That's beautiful. What's... Um... <laughs> No, I'm serious. Like I and I know the caffeine's making me sound flip today, but like I love that lens on it. You know, like it's like too. Yeah, there's this promise, you know, it's sort of like, you know, our entire culture promises us that that the the Ne plus ultra is is you know being being the hero, right? For better or worse. Um and some people, some people take that as, you know, well, of course, like, I'm the hero of my own story, so whatever I do, like, shh, to heck with everybody else. But this, the escape room, is like, no, no we're going to test this theory. Are, are you the hero of your own story? Are you good enough to play the role of the protagonist? Seriously, right? Trial um, by
1: fire immediately.
0: Yeah, yeah. Even if it's just, like, even if it's a game, because it is a game. But still, like, it's like, how clever are you? Um yeah. I love. I love those Speaking rooms, of, I
1: love, uh, I love those rooms where um, they start off in the most extreme way possible. If you've ever done one of those rooms where you start off blindfolded, or you start off handcuffed, or you start off separated from the rest of your team, like in separate jail cells, or whatever the fiction, uh, whatever the fiction is. Those are always my favorite ones because they don't mess around with, okay, let me read you the story off a piece of paper. Please bear with me. I just was hired today. I don't really know the story by heart yet. You know, I hate, I hate that. <laughs> I love the ones where it's like, put on this blindfold, push me in a room, turn the lights off, begin. And it's, okay, where am I? Who am I? What do I have to do? Um, I am the protagonist. Nobody's going to break that fiction for me for the next 60 minutes. And I am either going to succeed or fail based on my own abilities and my team's abilities to actually perform as that protagonist.
0: How, what's your, uh, n- not, to, not to like nerd compare here or anything like that, <laughs> uh, and, uh, but because I'm not going to reveal mine, but what's your success rate?
1: Uh, I actually know my success rate exactly. Um, oh my God. uh, Yeah, no, I keep a very, I'm, I'm such a data nerd. I love data so much. Um, whenever I do a Kickstarter campaign, I geek out over numbers for like months before I launch the campaign to figure out meticulously how much each reward tier should be and how many backers I should aim for and how long it should run for. And I, I, I analyze everything. So, uh, I know my exact success rate, um. Uh, My success rate at the moment is uh, 93.8% success. Ooh,
0: out of a total number, since you know it so well, out of a total number, how many rooms?
1: Um, So these are not all the rooms I have done. These are all the rooms since I started recording them. So since I've started recording them, that is 181 rooms uh, with the 93% success rate. Um, the total number of rooms I've been trying to track down for a very, very long time. It's somewhere closer to about 300. Um, but, uh, it's, it's hard. Like those were back when escape rooms were literally some guy in his apartment invites me and a few friends in, and he's written a shaky story, but it's mostly just like a whole bunch of puzzles on the floor and you have an hour to solve them all. So, and, um, and miraculously you
0: survived that process. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, we joke often. Like, and, and it's so funny. Like the first time anyone encounters uh, the sort of the, um, let's say, the more homebrewed side of the immersive world half the time the comment is you know this would be a really efficient way to kill people and it's yeah. like yep yep yeah we're willing to go to strange people's houses we'll hop in a car yeah. and put a, oh there's a blindfold here let me put this on myself let me just help you
1: but it's, it's <laughs> you amazing know. right built-in yeah. built yeah. alibi built-in method like everything everything yeah. that detective needs to to convict someone you're just walking into all of those things for them it's amazing
0: pretty much yeah the the the, the, hopefully nothing will ever happen but if it ever does the first thing out of a detective's mouth is going to be like they did what
1: (laughs) yeah i know right i've done uh, Um, like uh, last weekend last weekend in seattle um i did a private escape room in some guy's apartment and uh it, it was crazy right because i'm walking into a stranger's apartment Uh, he is literally locking me in a room. He is taking away my cell phone. He's locking it in a box so I no longer have access to it. Uh, And then then he leaves, right? And then he's like, well, I'll see you in in an hour. Uh, I hope you're able to survive. And I look around and just think like I didn't sign a waiver. Nobody knows I'm here. There's no cameras. I have no cell phone. Everything about this is creepy except that I'm so excited to be here and I can't wait to get started.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so many things that go wrong. I mean, we shouldn't even be telling people that because it's just like, oh, I'm going to get the guy who made Exploding Kittens because all the games are lost. i just going to lure him to my apartment anyway. That's hopeful it will never happen. Um... You've you've been tracking all this stuff for a while. Are are you going to do something with that data?
1: Yeah, you know, not only have I been tracking it, the reason I've been tracking it is because um, everyone who does an escape room with me, I force them uh, afterwards to (laughs) sit around a table, I take out my iPhone, I turn on voice recorder, and we just record our thoughts. Um, And we actually even rate the room based on um, things like the puzzles and the mechanics and how good it looked and things like that. And I, I force everyone through this little miniature form of torture because uh, it's so important to me to, to learn from these, to, to figure out what's good and what's bad, and uh, to have that all written down so that uh, this art form can get better, so that it doesn't stagnate and we're always improving. Um, so not only do I have all this data, but I have hundreds of hours of recordings of uh, me and the various teams that I do these things with uh, talking about, hey, this was great and this was horrible and here's this insane thing that happened and here's this ridiculous thing that happened. Um, And I get asked all the time, what am I going to do with all this data? And the answer is, I don't actually know. Um, I would love to publish it somewhere. It's not quite enthralling yet. Uh, so I haven't quite figured out the format. Like, I'd, I'd really like to figure out the right way to present it, the right uh, uh, times to update it. Um, all of that's coming. It's just not here yet. Well,
0: we look forward to the day when it is here. <laughs> um, and maybe we, maybe we can help, you know, put our, all of our brains together and, and help solve that puzzle of like, what form should it take?
1: I would love the um, help. Honestly, I would love the help on like, what's the best way to present a treasures trove of, of data on mostly the Los Angeles escape rooms, but truly uh worldwide escape rooms.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I, I, I got a, got a few people I know who'd be good at figuring that out. All right. Well, Alon, um, We'll wrap up here for now, but I know without a doubt we will have you back on the show Um, But is there anything you're looking forward to happening in the next um, in the next few weeks months?
1: Um, Well as far as uh, escape rooms go the the one I I was thinking a lot about I I get asked all the time Like what do I want to see in in this world? What do I want to see come next? What do I think the trends are? Um, the big thing that I'm most excited about is there's a few rooms sprinkling up here and there which uh, are finally getting away from those horrible, horrible master locks. Master locks mm-hmm. usually have no place in escape rooms. They're there because we don't have anything better. Um, the very nature of an escape room is uh, a stop-and-go pattern, right? Is Uh, You're moving, we need to stop you until you achieve a certain thing and then you need to go again. Um, A lock is a really great way to uh, perfectly nail that. More and more I'm seeing rooms that don't have locks. Because it doesn't make sense to put a padlock in a King Arthur environment or an outer space environment or an alien spaceship environment. None of those make sense. They're all put in there because people just don't have anything better and they're not thinking very creatively. Um, there is this very exciting trend now where people are starting to starting to think through that problem in a much more creative way, and we're seeing more and more rooms without any locks. The stop and go pattern is still there. The achievement system is still there. The the mechanism by which you must solve something in order to proceed is still there. It's just the actual mechanism is is creatively thought through instead. And I'm so excited to see that. And if anybody is listening who is a room escape Designer, uh, do more of those. The audience will be so appreciative for that extra layer of immersion, and those are the rooms that uh, they're going to talk about favorably.
0: No more locks. That no more locks. sounds like a good thing for uh, everybody except uh, except people who sell bolt cutters in front of <laughs> escape rooms. So uh, I, sorry, bolt you, cutter. Can I open. tell you one
1: funny story? Just because it oh, sure. just reminded me. It's So I was in a room. I don't remember where. It might have been in London. And uh, they had a lock, uh, a lock on a gate. I was dying to get through this gate. It was so clear. There's where the next bit of fiction lies. And I could not find the key for this thing. I looked everywhere. What there was nearby was a giant set of bolt cutters, like on a chain bolted to the floor. And uh, I picked up the bolt cutters, and the chain was long enough to reach that lock. So I called out, because they're listening via hidden microphones. So I called out. I said, listen... I'm about to cut through your lock. I'm pretty sure I'm not supposed to do that, but there's this tool here, and there's a lock that I can't open. So just, you know, scream at me if I shouldn't do this. And it was silent. And so I walked over the lock, and I put the clamp around it. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm seriously, I'm gonna cut through your lock. I need you to rush in the door right now if I shouldn't do that. And I, <laughs> still nothing. So I'm like, three, two, one, and there was nothing. So I cut through their lock. And it was fine, and I, and I continued, and then I'm looking around and there's like three more locks in the room that the chain doesn't allow me to reach. So I called out, I'm now going to take the bolt cutters and cut the chain holding the bolt cutters so that I can move the <laughs> bolt cutters anywhere I want and cut the rest of your locks. And at that point, the door bursts open and the designer runs in and says, no, 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 please stop. So, I got a little bit too far out of the boundaries of game there.
0: Well, they just should have made the the chain too thick for the cutter. Come on. Yeah. That's obvious. (laughs) (laughs) That's called design. All right, Alon, like I said, we'll have you back on the show. Uh, This has been a blast. And uh, if people want to hunt you down, uh, where should they find you?
1: Uh, easiest places on Twitter. That's where I spend most of my time these days. Uh, it's just Elan Lee, E-L-A-N-L-E-E, uh, on Twitter. That's where I tweet. That's where you can tweet back at me.
0: Once again, want to thank Elan for jumping into the show and talking escape rooms with us today. Uh, escape rooms, uh, went to a great one, went to the new elevator shaft at the basement this past weekend. Um, had a lot of fun, wrote that up. On No Persinium, you can read that uh, review there. There's a bunch of reviews coming out. Catherine just wrote something up out of New York City. Um, just just go to the website, honestly. Like, I used to be like, oh, yeah, you know, we do things with the website. No, no, just go to the website now. Or We're cranking it out left and right. Uh, but, yeah, back to the basement. It was fantastic. Oh, my goodness. The elevator shaft is amazing. Um, you know, sometimes you'll be in an escape room and you're like, oh, yes, there there are puzzles in this room. <laughs> And there is a there is a door with a lock in it, and we will get the key. Um, and then sometimes, far less often, uh, you will be in an escape room, um, and you'll be like, "Oh my god, I feel like I'm on a movie set." This is one of those times. If you are cool with the horror genre, uh, then um, then the basement. Oh, yeah, you just the basement's the way to go, no doubt, no doubt. All right. Speaking of the horror genre, speaking of uh, things that sort of um, lure you uh, to the the edge of your psychological zones. Um, we're about to jump into this discussion with Dr. Liz Powell. Um, I reached out to Dr. Liz, thanks to our, our friends up in the Bay Area. I think it was I think it was Seg. Um, hi, Seg. Uh, who said, hey, uh, I know you're looking to talk to someone about um Sort of the psychological side of safety and consent, uh, because I know there's been some stuff going on. Because a, a couple of months back, there were there were just some some kind of fuzzy things going on. And you know, I I I want to make one thing clear. There's a lot of you know he said, she said, they said that happens in a, a tightly knit community. And so you get second and third hand stories about, well, at a show the other night, this happened. Um, this is very true, particularly in the shows uh, that touch on um, sort of some of the more extreme things, you know, not necessarily extreme horror, but that borrow elements and techniques from extreme horror shows or that are extreme horror shows or that borrow techniques that we might associate, you know, the, the very tools that you would see. Uh, in a in a BDSM dungeon, being applied for narrative purposes, um, we can never really know what happens behind closed doors if we're not there. Nevertheless, we start to build up sort of a, a um, kind of circumstantial narrative folklore evidence locker. Of just tales that sort of make us go, uh, huh? Not hmm, but huh. And I worry sometimes that folks are diving into these experiences, both from a participant and a creator side without necessarily having all of the, the wisdom and knowledge and language that comes from communities that have been dealing with some of these issues for a very long time. You know, we had an episode, we talked with Jason Carl of By Night Studios. I think I mentioned that in this interview um, that was about how the LARP community deals with issues of safety and consent. And so I was looking for someone to talk to specifically who was familiar with the BDSM community and who could talk about the way safety and consent And risk management is dealt with in that community, because if you want to compare apples to oranges and you want to talk about just, you know, uh, sort of what some people would call extreme situations, it's it's safe to say that from from a a baseline vanilla uh, perspective. You know, it's hard to tell the difference between stuff that happens at a extreme show and the kind of stuff that will happen uh, at a you know BDSM event dungeon. OK, um, they are for people on the outside of those worlds indistinguishable on the inside of those worlds. There's all kinds of things that distinguish how they how they operate and. Interestingly enough, one of the things that distinguishes them is that the BDSM world, the kink world, has a lot more language and a lot more experience with negotiating out and navigating the waters of consent and safety. I'm going to sound like a fucking broken record on this one, guys, Um, for good reason, in that we need to move the discussion forward. And that's why I was so excited when a couple of months back I got to talk to Dr. Liz on the phone. I was standing in the El Cerrito Bart parking lot because I was in, you know, on a Bay Area trip and she was in San Francisco. So it was like doubly ironic we were on the phone. We were trying to meet in person, but our schedules couldn't mesh. And then uh, Liz has been going all around, so it's just now. We recorded this last night. It's just now we were able to do this episode. And I want you, if you are a participant, if you're a creator who are, are, are delving into sort of the shadow side of things, I really want you to listen to what Dr. Liz has to say. I want you to consider it. I want you to absorb it. I want you to do some more research on your own. If you're not into that sort of stuff... Um, I don't wanna take you off the hook either. I think you should listen to this one uh, to kind of understand a perspective and and equip yourself with a, t- a toolbox. Um, if nothing else, so that you, know, you don't just go, whatever those people, they do that screwed up stuff and I'm not interested in it. Um, we're in the business of exploration and wonder right here. We do these things not because they are easy, but because they are hard we go to the places that other people maybe uh just don't think are worth going to and i i love that about this community because in rooting around in the experimental zone we find ourselves even more rich veins of wonder and on that note like i said at the top of the show we talk frankly i just dropped an f bomb a second ago so that was like your last warning uh, if you've got sensitive ears around, because I'm definitely the kind of person who does not like cursing around kids, I do it and I feel embarrassed. Go see that uh, Tiny Toon Adventures episode about foul mouth, and you'll basically find me. All right. On that note, here we go. <coughs> So, Dr. Liz, um, maybe you could tell the NoPro audience uh, a bit about yourself. Probably in the, in the cold open, I probably gave a basic spiel, but uh, I'd love to hear how you present yourself to the world.
2: Sure. So, on the professional side, I am a therapist and a coach and a speaker uh, and sex educator who loves working with folks who are queer or kinky or non-monogamous, Uh, On the personal side, I am a queer, bisexual, genderqueer woman who identifies in kink and BDSM as a switch. Uh, I am solo poly, which is a form of polyamory that's practiced um, largely as an individual rather than in coupled formats. Uh, And I also identify as a slut. So I do a lot of fun, sexy things with a lot of fun, sexy people.
0: There we go. And and that's just what I love about what I love about the poly community as I've experienced it, uh, as someone who grew up in the Bay area and has had friends in it for a very long time is just sort of how just direct they are about the nature of things. So this is going to be an episode where we just, we just lay it all out there because the reason why I started talking to you, Dr. Liz, um, like, a couple of months ago and we talked like once on the phone and now like we're kind of finally our schedules have aligned and allowed us to to do this episode (laughs) was that we had, we had some stuff going on, in the the la immersive theater scene and i know you're you're pretty familiar you're familiar with immersive theater right We've yeah,
2: i'm like passingly familiar i wouldn't say that i'm nearly as involved as you are or some of my friends are uh but i have a theater history myself and i have a lot of friends who are very involved in immersive theater so at the least i kind of understand most of the lingo
0: Fantastic, and indeed, uh, it was some of the folks up in San Francisco uh, around the Rathskeller Club who uh, clued me in to uh, your your specializations here, and we specifically because we were looking at some stuff that was going on um, in in the extreme haunt world and in uh, in some of the shows that kind of really. And some of them have pushed back on me and they said, they say, like, oh, we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to, you know, be labeled with BDSM. We don't want people to like, think of us as this way. We don't want, we don't want to be thinking in terms of sex parties. And I've been like, okay, I mean, that's, that's not what it means to me, but I can also understand if you're, you know, being a Bay Area person, I'm like, well, hey, if that's not the label you're comfortable with, then I'm not going to give that label to you. But hopefully you can understand that there's some framing here. There's some tools to talk about things like informed consent and safe words and the, the way in which experiences can be, uh, particularly experiences that involve what some might call edge play, um, mm-hmm. uh, can can be done in a way that are that are safe and fun for everyone and don't necessarily have to involve, you know, things of a sexual nature, but they may they may blur around there and the importance of having kind of unambiguous discussions about things that do get blurry and confusing. So,
2: yeah. And I think the one thing that I would say just like right off the bat is that coming from a kink perspective and a, you know, sex party goers' perspective, um, a lot of folks talk about how do we keep people safe in our spaces? And that's not usually possible. We can talk about how we manage risk and how we identify what the likely risks are going to be and give people uh, as much empowerment as possible to help keep themselves safe. But I think that thinking of it as risk awareness and risk management is better in the long term because safety is something we are all going to fail at over a long enough timeline.
0: Mm. That's, that's particularly apt. I think in a, in a couple of dimensions, one, you know, we've had, we've had some non sort of, um, kink adjacent safety issues, uh, that are sort of just pure physical safety issues in, in LA. Uh, we did like a whole episode actually, like the previous episode of this was just about like, how do you, how do you approach from a design standpoint, just making sure everything's physically safe? um and this episode i'm sort of seeing as a companion to that as being okay how are we trying to make things i mean if we can't make things perfectly psychologically safe and indeed maybe that's not even the entire point on some stuff but at least that people are aware of the risks and are consciously choosing to embrace the risks as opposed to being blindsided by things um because i know in in my own head i have this adage Uh, that I stole from uh, James P. Karse of those who must play cannot play with the idea that if you're being forced into a scenario, you're, you're not really able to play within that scenario.
2: Yeah. I mean, the parallel phrase that I use with a lot of the folks in my communities is that if consent cannot be revoked at any time, it is no longer consent.
0: Mm. That's really, that's really important. So so let me let's let's break in. Let's, let's go right into consent. Let's go into consent and and the idea of the safe word. Um, there's let me just kind of give you an example here. Uh, I'm going to file off serial numbers. This is super generic. I'm not referring to anyone's show for anyone who's like and go like oh is he subtweeting? No, I'm not. I'm not subtweeting <laughs> I'm make, kind of making this up as I go along. Um, we will have shows um, and indeed, I think they this, this even go beyond the extreme haunt but a lot of it comes out first out of the extreme haunt community this idea that um, there's there's a safe word that at the beginning of the experience you're told a safe word uh, and that safe word uh, will generally just shut down the whole thing. So it's usually like if you call the safe word your experience ends there'll be no refund um, That's kind of the business norm mm. in the in the extreme haunt world um it's not uniform across the board but i would say a rough estimate 90 percent of the ones that use a safe word go in in that sort of framing Um, i know this is different from things that happen in kink communities and even things that happen in larp communities Uh, i had a great discussion with jason carl of by night studios who uh, published the vampire the masquerade larp um, about the way that community has developed their safety protocols uh, in the decade and a half since I stopped being a LARPer um, and and know that there's a lot more of a range there. Maybe you could sort of share what you know, or or even like, we, we had a really good discussion about this. So I'm trying to like get back to that. It's like sure. the, time, the time I was in the BART parking lot and talked to you about this. And I said like, okay, here's this thing that happens. Um, maybe you could kind of break down what you see in that structure.
2: Sure. So from my perspective as a kinky person, um, any time that someone is issued a safe word, I have some concerns, largely because the way that human brains work is that when we become particularly upset, whether that's very, very scared or very, very angry Uh, Our limbic system goes into overdrive, it activates our fight-or-flight system, and when you're in the fight-or-flight activation, it is nearly impossible for you to call upon your memory in certain ways. What you tend to go into is a reaction that is either fight, which is like starting to fight your way out of something, flight, where you're attempting to flee and get away, uh, or freeze, which is where you completely shut down. Now in fight or flight, you may be able to remember a safe word that you were given, um, but it's going to be much harder for you to do voluntary recall than it would be for something that you have picked yourself or that you are trained on, that you've practiced a lot. Um, So I would have a question about like, what is the safe word? How are they deriving that? And how likely is it that someone will remember it? I would Mm. also be most concerned about people who go into freeze when they are in that fight or flight activation. When you are in the freeze response, people often report feeling as though they are outside of their own body. It can be difficult to speak. It can be difficult to move. And so in the BDSM community, there are a lot of folks who are starting to talk about creating safe word systems that require someone to do something to indicate that they are okay, rather than do something to indicate that they are not okay. So there are a lot more nonverbal safe words using either like opening or closing of hands uh, or some other signal to show that you are okay. Because if I have to f- force myself to do something to indicate that I'm not okay and I'm in a freeze reaction, that could be literally impossible.
0: Yeah. it. I mean, when it's laid out like that, it just seems completely logical, right? Like if you're actually so terrified of what's happening to you that you freeze up, you're not going to ring the bell and, and, end your experience. You're going to just endure it because you've fully shut down.
2: Yeah. And there are, there are psychological factors as well, that the ways that we think about ourselves can make it much harder to volunteer a safe word because mm. of, how we feel that may reflect on us or it may affect others. Um, So in a kink setting, if I'm playing with someone and I'm the bottom, I may not safe word when I probably should if I feel like it'll make me look like a bad bottom or it'll disappoint my top or people might judge me for it. And in fact, I see a lot of people who don't safe word when they probably should have or would have benefited from safe wording because of those fears about disappointing someone else or not being good enough in that role or they want to be able to take it. And so if you're having a belief about yourself that you should be able to get through this haunt, that you should be able to endure this, uh, that it shouldn't be that big of a deal, even though you are you are experiencing psychological harm, you may not volunteer a safe word because of those factors.
0: Let's interrogate this a little bit. I mean, and I don't necessarily ascribe to this, but I know there's a there can be a point of view that says, well, you know, Part of the reason why you put yourself into this situation, whether this is an extreme haunt where you're, you know, confronting fears, or it's, uh, it's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a sub situation, is in order to have your boundaries pushed a little bit, to go outside of your comfort zone. So um, there's, isn't there going to be some level of, you know, sort of psychological damage, psychological trauma as part of that? or is that just like the totally wrong (laughs) framing?
2: No. So there is a big difference between working on what I would say is expanding your comfort zone and pushing boundaries and also a difference between engaging in something that is frightening or that um, pushes your edges and something that is harmful. Um, Kink and BDSM play should not be harmful. It may hurt. You may have physical pain, you may in the moment have distress, but it should not be creating lasting harm. That is not the goal of any kink player that I know of who practices in an ethical or healthy way. Because for most people, kink is actually a means of healing. You're looking for ways to explore these things that may be distressing for you within a loving container so that you can come back from them stronger and more whole than you were before when you are working on expanding your comfort zone, if you try to push too hard too fast, what you end up doing is actually shrinking it. Now, the reason I say that I don't wanna think about it as pushing boundaries is because when I use the term boundaries, what I mean is the limits of what I'm okay with folks doing with my body or my time or uh, my mind. And if I set a boundary, that should not be pushed. Uh, It may be you can maybe ask questions about it, but if I say, I don't want you to touch me, and then you decide to touch me a little bit anyway, that's not actually okay.
0: Let's flip around from the point of view of, of the participant in, in immersive, or in this case, we're also we're thinking kink, from the point of view of the, the sub or the bottom, and into the creator, into uh, the top the dominant. Um, And indeed we can, we can sometimes, and I will sometimes myself, particularly in the more extreme stuff, think in those terms of that essentially, oh yeah, you know, you're going into something where you're giving up a certain amount of control. Well, I'm, I'm in, I'm in DS land now. So what, what are the ethical considerations? How should someone who is creating something that may involve uh, touch may involve a certain amount of force may involve, um, you know, simulated danger. There are, there are some experiences that involve, um, you know, simulated waterboarding and, and, and other things of that nature. Um, they might involve confined spaces. There, There are some things that just, that are like, Oh yeah. Like that's out of, that's out of this particular fetish, uh, you know, doing this to somebody like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to put you in a small box, you know, and just see how, how you like it. And I'm like, I know people who've done that like professionally. Um, so this, okay. Like that's what you're doing now. Um, what, what, what's the thought process there? What should people who are designing this stuff be thinking about? What, What's a what's a good frame for them to be holding in their head as they're thinking about how to approach, you know, risky material?
2: So what I would recommend is uh, starting from an understanding that the majority of people will often overestimate how much they can tolerate and how much they can actually endure. Most folks, especially if it's presented as like, uh, a thing that they can show their toughness in will think that they can do way more than they actually can, uh, especially if they are not someone who is practiced at finding where their limits are. Um, so, in the kink realm, we usually talk about going less hard than you think you could because it is so easy, especially if you don't have a longstanding established understanding of how that person reacts, to push further than you intended. So, in these kind of situations with immersive theater, you don't know these people. You don't know them. You don't know how they react. You don't know what their trauma histories are. You don't know what is going to create something that is harmful for them or how something that was fine two seconds ago could suddenly become really not okay. And even though people are agreeing to come into this situation that they know may push at some of their their hard spots that may um, expand their comfort zone in some ways, It is really really important that you let people have informed consent about what that means Uh, for instance I do not love heights Uh, I can deal with them now because I've done a lot of work around it but if all of a sudden I found myself standing on the precipice of something high and I didn't know that that was going to be happening it would be really easy for me to get so upset and so dysregulated that it would be hard for me to come back from that okay People who have histories of sexual assault or physical assault or violence may not disclose it on a on a survey that's sent out to them about an immersive theater event because it's really fucking personal. And then it's easy for them to end up in a situation where they're suddenly experiencing a lot of very strong emotion and feeling very triggered without a good way to explain why that's happening. So I think the biggest caution that I would give is is that you don't know these people. So you don't actually know how much they can take. You don't know for certain what may trigger something really hard for them. So when you don't have that knowledge, it's really important to have an extra degree of caution, to check in in ways that you can, to monitor them more closely than you think you need to. Because I think that when we're topping or when we are the ones creating these experiences, we have an assumption that we'll see things sooner than we tend to because we're enjoying it so much. It's this thing that we're proud of, it's this thing we put a lot of effort into creating, it's this thing that they said that they wanted, and so it's easy to get swept up in those expectations and those feelings and not notice that it's not actually going very well for them. So pay close attention, monitor folks. Do they look like they're actually doing okay? Do you have ways to check in with participants throughout the experience to make sure that they are still doing okay? In a kink scene, we don't just like start the scene and then not check in again until we're done. You find ways to check in and monitor with each other throughout the entirety of the scene. Um, When I'm topping folks, I rarely go more than a few minutes without checking in in one way or another to try to gauge with them where we're at as related to where we're aiming for. Um, Make sure that you get as much information as you can from folks and be judicious in the way that you utilize that information. If people tell you they have a phobia, that could mean it's really uncomfortable for them or that could mean they will literally fall apart if you expose them to it. So just have a keen awareness to how the information that you're getting may be incomplete or may not tell the story that you think it's telling you.
0: There's there's something to the idea, particularly when people share a phobia or f- share... Share something that they're that you know is a hard limit, um, and I'll hear tales sometimes of people sharing hard limits and then having the hard limits hinted at, even verbally,
2: Mm-mm. and
0: that eroding that eroding some of the trust. Right. Um, and and it's just it it strikes me it doesn't strike me as as malicious and and not necessarily naive when i hear something like that it it just strikes me as something that people just don't aren't aware right like they're they're not necessarily aware that the idea of a hard limit has some real weight to it and that you can throw someone completely out of the experience it's the same thing as if you know if if the set collapses people aren't going (laughs) to sit there and like And we kind of had this the other day and be like, Oh, I I, just, I hope the show just keeps going. It's like, no, the sets freaking collapsed. Like, let's deal with that. And this is sort of the psychological equivalent of that. It's like, Oh, you you just obliterated the line or you just brought in something that puts a wall down between me and the experience. And, and, and when you're talking there, you're talking about, you know, checking in, just made me think about the fact that the number one thing that I've found that's driving this is the quality of attention, right? So there's there's all these jokes. Well, there's all this, you know, conventional wisdom, call it a joke, but, over years that we live in an attention economy, right? Like mm-hmm. everything's about how many eyeballs can we get stuck to a screen yada yada yada. Oh, can we get a million eyeballs? Congratulations, you get a quarter. Um so like everyone's everyone all the media work is devalued. Everything we do is just like, you know, this it's only matters if like 10 million people see it, etc. And here in this immersive world, you know, we're we're able to charge a lot more because people want not just to you know, have something to themselves for a while, but to be seen. They're paying for that attention. And the idea that people wouldn't be being attentive while they are giving themselves over to these experiences sort of defeats the entire purpose. So this, on a certain level, that kind of thinking just feels to me that's gotta be the baseline when a creator's coming in. And if, if you're not thinking about having that level of attention, particularly if you're doing stuff that's high touch, uh, anything that's extreme then you're just really in the wrong business you're really in the wrong art form uh, you you want to make something presentational instead
2: I mean here's the thing about hard limits if I tell you don't touch me and you come in and you say I'm gonna grab you As a woman, I face an entire fucking world of people trying to grab me all the goddamn time without my consent. If I have paid you money and told you don't do this, and you say you're going to do it, I'm going to be furious, and I'm going to be scared as fuck. And not in the good way. Not in, like, the fun, exciting way. I'm an adrenaline junkie. I love roller coasters. I love getting scared. It's fucking awesome. But if I say don't do this, and you hint at it, I'm going to feel violated not excited, not scared in the way that you're going for. It's not okay. It's not okay to violate people's consent. If someone tells you explicitly, do not do this, you don't even need to know why they're saying it because frankly, they have a really good reason.
0: There was something else we talked about um, when we first talked a couple of months ago, the idea of consent and peer pressure. And I think we, we touched on it a little bit, you know, talking about, people's ideas of themselves mm-hmm. when uh and the, the, someone has the idea of themselves as a, like a tough person and you know, maybe they won't call the safe word because they feel like they're there they can kind of get through it but we have in in these in these shows because the narrative is linked to whether or not you call the safe word um but so too is is the sort of the the cultural discussion around the stuff is oh did you did you call the safe word did did you tap out um so there's actually and that's actually the thing like did you tap out there's there's like it's it's like it's wrestling right it's like it stops being kink and starts becoming wrestling at that point um which you know there's there's a way to say that's a that's a there's a valid way of viewing the world you know as athletics you know like tapping out like oh you lost but but there's this kind of alchemy going on because there's the desire to have the story, there's a desire to be part of this community, and there's, there's a desire to kind of you know endure the physical thing. And that can all kind of get melded up in, in, in ways.
2: Yeah, I mean, so the vast majority of people I see who have trouble with boundaries It's people who feel like they can't say no because they would disappoint someone or they would upset someone or it would make someone angry with them. So many people in our culture of all different genders resist saying no to things that they genuinely want to say no to because they don't want to upset someone else or they don't want to look weak or any of those things. So when you are in an environment that is specifically about like enduring and and being tough and like getting through the challenge, there is going to be such a huge peer pressure involved that it's going to be an extra layer of difficulty in expressing those concerns. Most people don't say no when they really should. Most people don't set the boundary when they really should. And if they're going to further get judged for doing it, it's going to be an even greater disincentive. I think that I get where it's coming from. Like the idea with these immersive theater experiences is to, again, push your limits, to try to expand further, to see how much you can take. But I think that when you make it competitive or you make tapping out a problem or something that indicates weakness or that would have a judgment attached to it, that is going to make it really hard for people to do it even when they need it. Now, that's not to say that it's necessarily impossible for folks. It's to say that it is highly likely that there are people who are staying in longer than they should or who are not tapping out when they should. And when you're running these experiences, having an awareness of what that kind of enduring looks like what are the nonverbal cues folks give when they're in their freeze response? How can you look for people's behavioral cues that they may actually need to be tapped out? How can you find spots to check in or closely monitor how folks are doing? You're gonna have a much greater chance that you're not hurting people. I don't think anyone in these experiences or in these fields wants to hurt people. They don't wanna cause lasting harm, but it's really easy to do if you're not being very mindful of how you approach things.
0: Yeah, I think, I think in the full realm of from immersive theater into extreme haunt, I think there's only one person who, um, we all assume actually wants to harm people. And, uh, from everything we can see, the authorities keep shutting down, uh, his, his, uh, little project, um, and, and has for, for years. Um, And and those who know who I'm talking about will know who I'm talking about. And yes, now here I am subtweeting somebody because uh, that person doesn't deserve to have their name said anywhere at any time. Um, It it did bring up an idea that you know I used to listen to a lot of video game podcasts. Shock! And in the in the mid aughts, mid to late aughts, there was a lot of talk about fail states in games and this idea that you know that comes out of video games of like you know oh like you know three lives and your dad or like how hard can the game be uh you know like making the game super tough so you gotta like you know endure it um and then this this idea that you know this there's this constant you know, just fail state fail state fail state and you have this generation who had grown up gaming and had been like writing about games since they were like kids and now they were in their 30s and then you started to find fail states boring. It was just like, oh, game over is boring. Fail states are boring. Can't we find some other way than just like have the character die? Can't there be consequences as opposed to fail states? And I look at the design on some of the stuff and I kind of think of it that way. You know, like, does it have to be, you know, does it have to be end of line? You know, like, oh, you know, this is a linear experience. You only went so far, you're done. There's this opportunity to from a narrative standpoint to if someone you know you drops off a line to instead of just being you know shown the door instead opening up a new track opening up a new path um opening up a different avenue of story now that from a logistical standpoint for a small company would possibly be entirely impossible um just because i can't see folks you know dedicating Uh, You know the the dropout track when they have you know the the equivalent of a a Two-bedroom apartment to work in and five people Uh, there's there's only so much you can do, but there there is if there's going to be an element of You know, can you test? Yourself or can you you exploring the dark or any of that sort of stuff that maybe there's room for All right. What happens when you got to pull the scene back? And I guess that's also a question in in kink too. Like, you know, what's what happens when you got to pull the scene back there?
2: I mean, I think I think what you're talking about that there is like a, a linearity to the way a lot of these things are designed um, that is sometimes present in kink and BDSM and sometimes not. Um, so, for instance, I do a lot of um, play that involves a mixture of psychological and physical elements. So, I will sometimes Uh, be, you know, giving impact play to someone. So hitting them with different implements or with my hands or using my mouth or whatever. Uh, and also doing psychological play, which could be anything from calling them names to talking through, um, a fantasy or an idea. And if someone needs things to shift, it's kind of on me as the top to figure out like, what are other paths we could go down that are going to avert this crisis? Um, So sometimes that means like lightening up. Sometimes that means coming up with a reason that I'm stopping. Um, Sometimes it means figuring out how to explain why the experience is redirecting in a way that doesn't upset or blame the person who needs it to change. Because again, what we know psychologically speaking is that people aren't especially people who are volunteering for this experience, they aren't wimping out for funsies. They're wimping out or they're tapping out because they've hit their genuine limit. So is there a way for you to frame that decision that they're making and that request that they're making that makes it less of a, maybe even less of a punishment? Like, do they need to be punished for having hit their genuine limit? Does there need to be a consequence in a negative sense For them letting you know that this is too far for them. Um, Is there a way for you to instead redirect that makes it seem as though it is part of the story or part of the experience rather than something that they have done wrong? Because I think that the more you stigmatize making that request, the less likely it is that people will ask for it when they need it.
0: That whole bit about, you know, not punishing people, uh, and making them feel like they did something wrong. I mean, that is almost like line for line what was being said about the game stuff back in the day. Um, it's 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 a critical element of designing interactive media is figuring this this out so that people are encouraged to keep playing, keep exploring, keep discovering. Um, I think that's the thing that, worries me about some of the stories I wind up hearing or or some of the way that you know some incidences will leave people with a bad taste in their mouth is that they will they will then just like kind of give up on the whole thing, particularly because maybe they were introduced to these immersive interactive forms through a, a very particular band that might have involved you know some extreme elements and yet there's there's all this, there's this whole world of other experiences out there that don't necessarily involve high contact. Um, let's, I want to go at least one more spot and then, and I know you've got a bazillion things to do, so I'll I'll, I'll let you go. But um, coming back around to the idea of consent and informed consent. Um, a lot of people in this space, you know, they'll, they'll craft up a waiver. Sometimes that waiver will be presented on the night of. Sometimes it'll be presented in an email beforehand. doesn't often, occasionally you'll see it before you even uh, buy a ticket, but oftentimes the waiver comes after buying the ticket. Um, how can people go about, you know, thinking about consent, particularly when, See the funny thing is is like I know that there are creators out there who are loath to disclose some of the techniques they will that participants will be encountering because they are you know concerned that they're going to give away the story, give away the surprise. Sure. Um which you know makes makes sense from one point of view, but there's a whole another thing where if you've got people who have hard limits or allergies or like physical limitations, um, if they're not, if they're going in and they don't know, then, then that's just, that's just, that's a disaster waiting to happen. I said, they're going to like, oh, go, that's this, that's just going to lead to something bad. How, how can, is he got any advice for people on like navigating those particular waters about how to like do the consent discussion? Sure.
2: So uh, I took a really great class from Danorama on doing interrogation scenes and one thing that he talked about is in doing your negotiation well, oh, it's so awesome i'm so excited to do one someday like we even talked about like how to kidnap them what to dress them in what the room should look like we went over like actual interrogation manual techniques it was fucking sweet um
0: Does, is this person operated in san francisco or la I was or from san
2: francisco but the class that i took was at uh in portland
0: okay I mean, maybe, I mean, this this whole interrogation thing, like, I mean, we'll talk offline. <laughs> so, <laughs> just for creative purposes, people, creative purposes, right. creative purposes. You no, know, just creative.
2: ideas, ideas and stuff. Just ideas. Uh, but anyway, what he talked about is that in negotiation, what he'll do uh, is ask them what all their hard limits are and then throw in things that no one would ever think would happen in a kink scene just to get them fucked up about what might happen. So if you have a waiver, you can throw in a bunch of shit that you're not going to do as things that might happen. So you can let people opt out of the things that are real and figure out if they're opting out of things that aren't real. So, for instance, he mentioned uh, he'll ask people what their hard limits are. They'll give their hard limits and he'll say, oh, you didn't mention that I couldn't shave your head. You didn't mention I couldn't shave your iPhone. (laughs) Right. So, like, there are things you can include (laughs) that you're not going to do that make it harder for people to tell what's going to actually happen. You can also give kind of like generalized categories without giving away the surprises. Like you can say confinement in small spaces and they don't know, is that a cave? Is it under a blanket? Is it a cage? Like there are so many things that that could be. So I,
0: is it a cave under a blanket in a cage?
2: It could be, it could be a cage bed. Those are fantastic. Who knows? Um, but i think that there are that if you get creative you can make it very very easy to hide what is genuinely going to happen among a bunch of stuff that may or may not be happening so that people don't actually know and if you say yeah. confinement in small spaces i still don't actually know what that means um so i can opt in and out of it in a way that's related to things like phobias and triggers without having to know explicitly what that means yeah i also think that giving someone <laughs> their their, like waiver on the night of is a terrible idea (laughs) because you're already there so the peer pressure to continue is so huge especially if you went with friends like showing up with your friends and having to be like oh shit I didn't know this would be included I'm out is going to be hugely shameful for tons of people um I also think that you should provide the waiver ahead of time in a way that they have to like check a box next to each and every item that you're including on it so that they can opt in or out. And if they're going to be opting out of things that you include in a way that you can't do that experience for them anymore, give them a refund. Personally, I think you should give them a refund if they say for it during the experience. It's, it's harder business practice, but I think that if you don't give people a refund because they had to opt out, it's going to set a bad example. It's not, my approach to business is I would rather, like I have online classes. If someone takes my entire online class and they decide that it was shit and they didn't get anything out of it, I would so much rather refund their money so that they have a positive customer experience with me than keep their money on some sense of principle. If you want to take my class and you genuinely feel like it wasn't helpful, or you want to lie enough to me to say that it wasn't helpful, like I'm happy to give you your money back. I would rather for the sake of myself and how I feel about business give you back that money. If someone is saying yeah, this... they need like they needed to leave. Yeah. They needed to leave.
0: Yeah. There's there's often it's it's so interesting cuz there's there's this adversarial relationship between customers and businesses around the refund. And I was instantly thinking about the steam store and, and gaming and there's, there's been a, no you know, way, a spike. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's, it's gotten particularly bad. And like you can, the trick with there is like, you know, you, they, people review bomb games if they don't like the political stances that, you know, a creator will take. And you can only do that if you've purchased the game and played it for 20 minutes. But if you purchase the game and played it for 20 minutes, you can then leave a review and get a refund. Cause that's the way steam works. And it's it's wrecking some people's you know, careers for reasons that, you know, m- maybe they shouldn't be wrecking the careers on or depending on your political point of view, maybe maybe they should be. But uh, on some of them, I say no. On others, I go like, well, but um, the, the whole idea is it's always the assumption that uh, if someone can get away with getting a free meal, they're going to. You know, like if I could if I could go over to oh, the Tam O'Shanter, just feeling like the Tam the tonight, uh, eat the prime rib, have the have the 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 Sunday dessert. Uh, I'm not actually this hungry right now. I'm just just, just dreaming about it I'm instead. Too- uh, have a couple of beers and then at the end be like, oh, no, nah, no, this sucked. Even though I ate every morsel and drank every every drop of the pint. Um, I'm not the kind of person who would do that. But we know their people are, and so it's like our entire system is built around the idea that that we just got to keep those people from wrecking it for everybody else. Um, But I, I think I concur with you. It's like if there's there's a there's a way of doing this that's a communal sense of if someone if someone had a genuinely bad time, we probably we you know and we wanted them back. We probably would do whatever we could to like you know make them feel you know, like they were welcome, like they were, like their presence was honored and cared for.
2: And I I, I hear what you're saying. Like there are some people who will scam the system. But at the end of the day, I would so much rather give refunds to the very small number of scammers that there are so that I can leave the people who opted out or who safe worded out for whatever reason, if I can give them back their money so that they feel like they had a good experience, I would so much rather do that. Because the vast majority of the time, the people who are safe wording out or asking for a refund are people who genuinely needed it. Scammers are such a small percentage of the population.
1: Yeah.
2: And again, like if it's even if it's a handful of them, I would so much rather do that than screw over people who really needed that.
0: And the other side of it is that if you get people who are known for doing such a thing, There's there's ways to keep them from coming back, um, which is a whole nother kettle I mean,
2: Look, every industry that has that kind of problem has blacklists for a reason. I have a lot of friends who are sex workers. There are a lot of sites that you know who you should not take a job from. If it becomes a problem in the immersive theater world, like develop a list. Who are the people that keep asking for refunds or they go through the whole experience and want their money back? Again, it's such a small portion. So, so small. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Dr. Liz, I want to thank you so much uh, for taking time out to talk to us about all of this um, and for sharing these insights. I think you've given the community a lot to think about and uh, some new frames on which to see things in. If people want to follow up and delve more into this framework, uh, what would you suggest and how can they find you?
2: So you can find me at sexpositivepsych.com. Uh, and basically, if you search anywhere on the internet for sex positive psych, I'm probably there. So I'm on Twitter, I'm on YouTube, uh, I have classes on Teachable. Uh, if you want to learn more about stuff related to consent, um, there is a really great book uh, that just came out. Let me find the title of it. Uh, So it is called "Ask: Building Consent Culture." Uh, it's by Kitty Stryker, and it has uh, work also from Carol Queen and Lori Penny, and it's really fantastic in the way that it looks at how we create consent, how we reinforce consent, and how we make space for consent. Um, and it's not just limited to sexual relationships; it talks about consent culture throughout the entirety of the way that we approach things.
0: That sounds like it could be very useful
2: to the folks. This is a pre-order, so this is not out until October 27th of 2017.
0: Uh, Oh, my. Sounds like we've got a uh, a book club coming up, Cats and Kittens. Um, Yeah, why not? We should. Well, Dr. Liz, again, thank you so much for joining us here on the show, and we'll have the links to uh, the pre-order in the show notes. Thank you so
2: much, Noah. I had a great time.
0: Once again, want to thank Dr. Liz for being our guest on the show today. Here's a fun fact. I just did the entire end of the show and didn't record it. So, and it was really heartfelt. There was this whole heartfelt section. And it's gone. It's gone now. So, you're going to get the Noah didn't hit the record button version of the end of the show. Here's what's up. Here are the things. Here's a here's the truncated cliff notes version of what I just said into the ether. <laughs> making myself feel really stupid one. Thank you, Dr. Liz for coming on the show, talking about this stuff with us. Uh, This, this has been very important that we've had last week's episode and this week's episode, I feel they form a good duology that are sort of the cornerstone for the conversation we're going to continue to have about this stuff, about safety, physical and mental, about consent. Um, We are not the lawgivers here. We are the shit stirrers. And sometimes we don't stir enough shit. And here we go. And we're we're trying to give you guys a baseline from which to start this conversation. Because ultimately, uh, as a group, as a community, we will find our path together. And hopefully we can just be the lighthouse that are pointing out where the rocks are. That's number one. Number two, speaking of the community, um, you know, we haven't really had... Um, a, a, a sizable staff at NoPro. We've had people helping us out over the past few years. You know, Zay and Albert and Dean. Um, we've had, uh, and in the, early this year, Jessica came on. Our friend Juliet has leaned in and, and helped out more than once. Um, an interesting dynamics popped up in the past couple of weeks between Catherine in New York and my old friend Anthony Robinson, who has been a uh, constant. Um, shadow presence at no pro he's he's been with us since the beginning uh since the earliest days of this stuff um and, and indeed before like anthony is one of those people that i talked about sort of transmedia and immersive stuff before no pro even existed uh, and anthony and i are going up you know one of the, i don't know how i can't remember which year was it 97 98 99 or 2000 that that we first met it it the very least, it was 99. I think it might have been, it may have been 98. It could have even been 97. Um, That's how long we've been friends. So we're coming up on two decades. And he stepped in to help out with the Los Angeles section. And he's just been, he's been, he's been just a powerhouse there. And I am so grateful and so giddy to have one of my oldest friends um, be part of this now. Uh, So thank you Anthony for jumping in thanks to everyone on the staff and and to other folks coming on board. Thanks to Carly uh, Thanks to seg who's written something for us. uh, That's going to go up relatively soon. Uh, There's some other people waiting in the wings. I'm very excited Cindy hopefully will be able to come back online uh, once Florida's sort of like chilled out with the whole, you know, being actual disaster thing Um, There's there's other folks abroad if you want to um, help us out. You know, as we always say, we can't pay. Um, but we, we, we hope to one day and I get it. If you can't afford to write for a publication for free, I do not judge you. I hope you don't judge me for just being honest that, you know, you can see how much money we take in. It's on the Patreon right now. It's $380, $300, $380 a month that pays for all the basic stuff we do and yeah it it helps me cover some of my bills and there's a lot of time that gets sunk into this podcast they get sunk into everything immersive they get sunk into the website i would like it you know if if everyone who was at everything immersive did i say this earlier this is the problem with having to do something twice i can't remember if i said this early in their show or i said this into the ether if the 2000 people who are on everything immersive drop 5 bucks a month we'd have $10,000 every month um which you know I ain't gonna buy a Bentley. Let's put it that way. That money's gonna get put to uses. So that, that's a nice dream. It's it's an improbable dream. It's a nice dream, but five five bucks a month like you know, it's it's not a huge amount of money. Just think about it. Particularly as 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 we get more in, we will articulate more goals, uh, and a lot of those goals are going to be around. Uh, compensating the folks who write for us Um, even if it's modest compensation at at the beginning Uh, and at some point we have to incorporate so um, yeah we're bootstrapping a media concern here and that's funky and weird but it's funky and weird times out in media land so we're doing what we have to do and a lot of what we have to do at the beginning is working for free which um, let's be honest sucks it sucks I don't like it either Uh, and I definitely don't like asking people to do it. So, you know, think about helping out on that one. Um, that's the downer side. The upside is, oh my goodness, things are just popping off. Um, Hey, we've got a, sorry, I just shouted in your ear. I apologize. You know me, I get excited. We've got a meetup in Los Angeles on Saturday, uh, of this weekend. Hopefully you hear this before then. If you don't, sorry, we're going to be at the Thirsty Crow, 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. It's office hours. It's both NoPro and Leia. See me. See some of the Leia folks. Um, there's there's a host of things. I got to go. The inbox is at 399 emails. So I got to rock out of here. Um, sorry you didn't get the original version of this one. The tribute to Anthony was even more heartfelt Trust me, it, it was Anthony. it really was. Um, so I'm just gonna say the parts that we gotta we, we always do that we gotta do that we're proud to do each time. First off, the sustaining backer for no Presidium at Patreon is Ross Sigworth of the Rascalr Club. If you want to become a sustaining backer and get your name on every single episode of the podcast, you should check out the patreon and see what that requires of you. That's number one, number two. Um, Chris Porter. Of the speaking society, society I can't speak Does the music for this show um, We love it, it's fantastic The show wouldn't be the show without it um, I don't, I literally, period, end of story I mean we used to, do it without it It doesn't sound like the show to me anymore when I listen to the old ones I don't actually listen to the old ones Don't worry, I'm not that sad Not yet anyway Alright, on that note oh, Man, I wish you got to hear the original version of this one It was so much cooler Until next time, I'll see you at the show.